You're listening to A Prophet, a collaboration between Sakhlain and Al-Hujja Islamic Seminary. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider becoming our patron by donating at sakhlain.org support. Now the Prophet at this stage is inviting the tribes, the Arab tribes to Islam. He's still continuing his mission. Meccans, okay, they don't want to believe. He went to Ta'if, they don't want to believe. But there were many Arab tribes in surrounding areas. The Prophet especially during the Hajj season, he would approach those tribes and he would introduce Islam to every single tribe. In fact, every single visitor who would come to Mecca, the Prophet would meet the visitor, he would greet the visitor, he would tell him about the religion of Islam. As soon as the Prophet would do that, Abu Lahab, the uncle of the Prophet, would go to that same tribe, would go to that same visitor whom the Prophet spoke to and he will tell him, look, and sometimes he'd even interrupt the Prophet, look, this guy is a sorcerer, he's a soothsayer, he's a magician, don't listen to him and trust me, I'm his uncle, I know better. I can tell you that he's up to no good, do not believe in him. Imagine Abu Lahab, this evil man doing that to the Prophet And this really stopped many people from joining Islam because they're like, look, I don't know Muhammad really personally, but if his uncle is warning me, I better take caution because his uncle knows him better than we do. And this really dealt a big blow to the religion of Islam. So when you see that the Holy Quran curses Abu Lahab and his wife, Remember what this guy used to do, very evil, yes. Generally speaking, those people who, you know, initially were willing to listen to the Prophet, but then after Abu Lahab did that, they left and abandoned the Prophet. Generally speaking, these people are still liable, why? Because when the Prophet spoke to them and they have the intellect given to them by God and the Prophet made clear to him what the, clear to them, he made it clear to them what the message is, in their heart they knew this was the right path. So even if his uncle is now coming and saying, look this guy is a liar, well that's not an excuse for you to abandon the mission. Look at the Prophet himself, Look at his teachings, evaluate his teachings using your intellect. Just because someone is discrediting the Prophet does not give you the excuse in the eyes of God to abandon the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So generally speaking, they were not excused because the Prophet gave them clear signs that this was the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And people, generally speaking by the way, whenever you invite someone to something new, it's a challenge, right? It's a sacrifice that you have to make. A new religion, new commitments. People will find any excuse to dismiss you, right? Because people are comfortable in their own methods and their own ways, right? We're all comfortable in our cocoons. The minute you burst the, burst the bubble and you have to embrace something new, new ideology, new commitments, and then the Quraysh are going to now persecute you, right? You don't want to. So when you see Abu Lahab saying that, even if deep down in your heart, you know Muhammad is truthful, 
But you're like, okay, now I have an excuse. No one will blame me now in society if I don't accept his message because I can just easily say, oh, his own uncle discredited him. So of course I'm not gonna believe in him. So generally speaking, they were not excused. You're excused if you're really confused. But when the Prophet himself is showing you the haqq, there's no confusion. See, one reason why today in Muslim history we have confusion is because we're fighting for 14 centuries to figure out what the Prophet actually said, right? That's the whole fight. What did he say? What did he teach? What did he stand for? The Shia say something, the Sunnis say something, in fact each school of thought says something. We have to go do our historical research to see what the Prophet said. When he's there himself saying it, what confusion is there? No confusion. He's the Prophet of God, connected to Revelation, directly communicating the signs to you. Honestly that's not an excuse. So generally speaking, most of those people were not excused. They actually just found that as, a, as an excuse not to believe in the Prophet. But remember, those brief encounters the Prophet had with these people did have an impact, long-term impact. In any case, they did meet him, they saw his personality, his akhlaq. You know, th that encounter, that first impression stuck to their minds. And later on when the Prophet moved to Medina and they kept hearing about Islam, that prepared them to eventually accept Islam. So even though initially they rejected, but the Prophet by showing himself and presenting himself to these tribes and people, in the long term it did have an effect. It, it, it made them more ready for the religion of Islam in the future. You know, uh, after the death of Abu Talib, the Prophet travels um, to the tribe of Bani Sa'sa'a with Imam Ali and he actually stays there amongst that tribe for 10 days. So the Prophet was very persistent but to no avail. They were a big and important tribe but they did not accept the message of the Prophet. He traveled to some other areas but many tribes in rejecting him they just you know tell him your family and tribe they know you better and if they did not follow you, we're not following you. This was like an excuse. You know, interestingly, Ibn Hisham, the historian, he narrates that when the Prophet asked um, Bani Amir ibn Sa'sa'a, that famous tribe, to accept his message, they wanted to bargain with the Prophet. They made an interesting offer. They told him, if we follow you, and we become Muslims, after you, will you make us the rulers? What's in it for us? Will we become the rulers after you or no? We'll submit to you right now, we'll mobilize a powerful army to defend you, but after you, will we be the rulers or no? The Prophet waits for revelation, and Jibra'il tells the Prophet what to tell them. He tells them, this matter will be decided upon by Allah. He decides who will rule, not me. I don't have that authority. So you know what they tell him? They're like, okay, that's not fair. You want us to sacrifice and have our youth die for you. And then after that, there's nothing in it for us. Forget it. We're not going to support you. So they abandon the Prophet <laughs> But this incident, which Ibn Hisham narrates and other historians have narrated, is actually a very important uh, hadith or event that demonstrates what? 
Exactly, that Khilafah and Imamah after the Prophet, according to the very words of the Prophet, must be by the designation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even he himself, the Prophet, has no right to choose. And that's a very important lesson for us. You know, whenever we discuss Khilafah after the Prophet, well, if it was up to the Prophet, because you know what other schools of thought, they're like, look, the Muslim Ummah, they have the right to gather and select someone. We have that authority. Let me ask you this question, who has a greater authority to choose someone? The people, the Muslims, or the Prophet himself? The Prophet himself. But the Prophet himself, did he have that choice? What does this event demonstrate? He did not have that choice. If Rasulullah doesn't have the choice to appoint, Muslims are going to have that choice? How? Why are they getting that choice? So this is proof that only Allah can decide who the Khalifa is. Wayakhtar, exactly. Yes, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al Qasa states Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He chooses. They don't have the option. When God has chosen something for you, you Muslims, you don't have the khira. Khira means the option. You know, when you say akhtar, I choose, I select. The, the, the masdar, the root word is khira or ikhtiar. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says you don't have that option. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala solely reserves to, you know, choose the khalifa. Of, of this specific incident? Oh, I don't know if it's this specific incident. Um, I would have to look at the uh, tafsir to see exactly what the sabab of the nuzul is. But the same idea is being communicated by the verse. So this event is confirmed by the Quran. Yes. So don't you believe that the <clears throat> before the time of the death, the Prophet asked them to bring the pen and paper so that I will guide you, so that you don't have fitna after me. And I believe that he is going to assign you know, Ali and then the Correct. See, whenever we, the followers of Ahlul Bayt, state that the Prophet appointed Imam Ali, um, that is not to be taken literally. The Prophet did not appoint, he does not have the right to appoint. Whenever we say the Prophet appointed Imam Ali, meaning by the instruction of God, he declared to the people whom God had chosen for them, and that is Imam Ali. So when the Prophet asked them on his deathbed to bring him a piece, a, a, you know, a piece of paper and pen to dictate to them a will, if they implement it, they'll never go astray. He wanted for this to be written on paper that Allah has chosen Imam Ali السلام, to be the leader. So it's not him appointing, he's just delivering the message of God. That's what we mean by the Prophet appointed Imam Ali. And that's what he did at the and that's exactly what he did at Ghadir, yes. He explained to them that this was by the order of Allah and the verse is very clear. In Surah Al-Ma'idah 67 I believe, that this is an instruction from Allah. From your Lord, it's not your own choice. And if you don't, it's as if you have not conveyed anything. Islam is incomplete. So this incident with Bani Amr bin Sa'sa'a, really proves the point that the Prophet does not have the authority to choose. You Muslims you want to choose? Get together at a Saqifah and choose the Khalifa? Impossible. Now another lesson we can derive from this uh, example is the honesty of the Prophet. 
See, political figures, candidates, usually when they want to secure support or votes, they'll make you hear what you want to hear. They'll make promises, empty promises. They just need your support, especially if they're desperate for your support. Now the Prophet of course we cannot say the Prophet is desperate for support. When you have Allah, you're not desperate for anybody's support. But if politically we look at it, socially, he was desperate for support. He needed every single support he could get. Every person counted, every tribe counted. And they're making him an offer. Remember, this was a powerful tribe. That if you say right now, you promise us that after you will rule, will be the rulers, we give you our full support now and we'll change the equation. When the Meccans will see such a powerful tribe, they might rethink their stance with the Prophet. The Prophet, if he was an, an average politician, he would have said, yes, of course. And then later you change your mind, big deal. Later you tell them, look, circumstances have changed. Now I'm going to Medina, things have changed. And people can try to understand that, right? I mean, how many times does it happen that politicians change their mind? All the time. And sometimes they can be really excused and justified, right? Circumstances can change. The Prophet is honest, he's truthful. He tells them, look, as much as I need your support, I'm not going to lie to you. This matter is not up to me. I can't choose you as leaders after me. It goes to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's exactly what Imam Hussain did on the night of Ashura. When you need support on that final night, the Imam was honest with his companions. They're like, he's like, look, the enemies want me only. They want my head. And I've given you permission. You could leave. If you'd like to leave, leave. Which leader does that? Look at his integrity and honor. In that moment, and any other political leader would have, would have lied to his companions. No, inshallah we'll achieve victory. Let's stay fighting. No, the Imam told them it's death tomorrow. I have nothing to hide. Tomorrow we'll all be killed. All of you will be killed. So if you don't want to be killed, leave. See the honesty of Imam Hussain That's the path of the Prophet. He's honest. And he's really showing them that, you know, I'm not going to lie just because I want your support. So these are some, you know, very valuable lessons that we learn from the Prophet And by the way, you know, when you have a message like Islam, you're really looking for true supporters. People who are supporting you because they believe in you, not because there's something in it for them after you. Because people who are looking for their own political interests, they're not going to stay loyal to you, right? They join you today just because of power. If that doesn't work out for them, if they find power elsewhere, they're going to abandon you. And so the Prophet is actually teaching us practically, whenever you look for support, look for genuine support. You know, people come and tell you, oh, if you give us power and position, we'll support you. That support is not valuable. That's not true support. And that's not going to really advance your cause. So these are wonderful lessons, you know, from, from this incident of the Prophet visiting this tribe. By the way, when Banu Amr go back to their, um, some of their elders, there was an old man known for his wisdom. He asked them, what happened? You know, you were negotiating with someone, tell me about it. So they told him, yeah, this guy Muhammad from this tribe of Bani Hashim, he asked for our support and uh, we rejected him because he did not promise to give us, you know, the khilafah or leadership after him. He rebuked them. He told them, that's a shame on you. 
he is from the line of Ismail and whoever comes from the line of Ismail and he has a prophetic mission, he's truthful and he's shown you signs, you're going to regret it, you should have supported him. So there was one or two maybe wise people in the tribe who actually rebuked them, you know, for their betrayal of the prophet, but the majority of the tribe were not interested. If there wasn't in anything in it for them, they were not interested in supporting the Prophet So we see that at this stage really no one was joining Islam because of the intimidation of Quraysh and people were just not interested in going at war with Quraysh. So the Prophet really was abandoned during these times and they were very difficult times for the Prophet